what we'll be doing this evening is just exploring uh, aging, sickness, and death. That's the first level of it. And these are actually part of um, what are called the five reflections. And if anyone's interested in systematically studying, then maybe some of you have. Larry Rosenberg has a wonderful book, Living in the Light of Death, which goes systematically through all five. Um, and we'll get, it, we'll get it the last two in a way, naturally through the first, the first three. And I'm also gonna be using some of the uh, few quotes from, from Larry's book as well as a support for our exercise, for our exploration this evening. So we'll be looking into, I'll be giving a reflection on, on, these, on these three natural aspects of life as humans and how they can be really possible when we look at them and work with them consciously, how there can be a deep possibility to both see into the, the nature as a gateway into the nature of all experience. Just listen with an open heart. And there's a way to listen to Dharma talks too that is maybe a bit like poetry or something where if we listen with our whole body and we rest in a kind of open awareness and let words wash through us rather than trying to interpret them, then it can perhaps touch us in a little different way than it normally. Aging is natural. So it just has natural causes and conditions. The second one is I am subject to illness. Illness is unavoidable. Illness is natural, given causes and conditions. And the third is I am subject to death. Death is unavoidable. And death is natural, given causes and conditions. So we can see this, we know this at a certain level, and it's not a problem. But our relationship to it and all the emotional turmoil that happens when we lose something we love, somebody dies, and that's somebody else dying affecting us. When our bodies begin to change in a way that we don't have the strength, the flexibility, the um, stamina that we used to, we have to work with how we relate to these natural processes. Grief, loss, sadness, anger can all be natural emotions. And so it's not something that we naturally look at. If we look at our culture, the way we're enculturated, the cult of youth, beauty, etc. Now, of course, as we age, sometimes we do things uh, that are to be socially appropriate, where we change our look and this and that. And that's, that's, that's a different level than the sense of just avoidance of trying to avoid and, and cope with rather than looking into. But the, the real possibility here that the Buddha gave is that if we look into these, that they can be a guide into something much deeper that leads us to a, a kind of freedom that is not based on our traditional concepts of change, but has a, a dignity and integrity in our own hearts. We can discover something like a, a real jewel inside ourselves and let that inform how we're living. So this is why we're asked from Ajahn Lee to bow down to these, to really honor and respect them. But at the same time, uh, he's a monk sitting off in Thailand. He was. <laughs> uh, and maybe it's not so appropriate to look at these in the fire of our, of our life. 
of our daily Western lives. Well, Ajahn Chah gives us a clue, and not just looking into these facts, but all that comes up in relation to them. He gives us a clue of how or why we might want to really honor them deeply. And Ajahn Chah is this wonderful Thai forest master. I had the opportunity when I was ordained in Thailand to have to work with while he was still alive. Just a, an amazing, amazing being. He says, peace is within oneself to be found in the same place as agitation and suffering. It is not found in a forest or a hilltop, nor is it given by a teacher. Where you experience suffering, you can also find freedom from suffering. Trying to run away from it, trying to run away from suffering is actually to run towards it. Maybe some of you have heard the, the Sufi or the Persian teaching story of, of a man who is in a village and he sees uh, death going by in a horse and he gets absolutely scared because that's a sign that death is after you and it's, it's going to be your time soon. And so he gets so afraid that he jumps on his own horse and he gallops away as fast as possible. And he goes and goes and goes and goes one village, two villages away. He thinks he's safe. And just when he comes into town, there's death sitting on its horse, looking very surprised. And death says, why are, you, why are you here? I wasn't expecting to see you for another few weeks in a very far away place. But of course, since they did meet, death had to do what death had to do. So this is an example of how often when we run from something, now, there could be skillful moving away, and we'll, we'll work with that. We'll, we'll learn how to, that's what our, our practice actually is, to learn to nourish ourselves. You don't just dive into these and all the suffering when we don't have the skills and the attitudes to do so. But that actually want to create the conditions where we can actually, oh, oh, that was the harbinger of death. We see that. We feel what comes up. Oh, that's an inkling in old age. Wow, that doesn't, I really don't feel healthy now etc. That these things become something that we can work with as present moment experiences rather than pushing away. So these lead the old age sickness and death and what they represent are direct expressions of a core teaching of the Buddha. And this is how the transformation really begins where we look at what the actual, how these actually move and their expressions of change. And there are also expressions, and this words where our reactivity and our, our, a lot of difficult emotions can arise. There's two aspects of change. And one is change, change. And the other is change that is unpredictable. Rajan Chai used to say, uh, not sure. So even now, as you hear those words, not sure, and we can feel into that deeply with a, the present situation. Our security is often based on trying to find steadiness in a world that is constantly changing. So if you remember earlier on in COVID and it's actually happening now, we're, we're always trying to adjust to what is the new normal? But then the new normal keeps changing. So there's not a new normal. There's a new place that lands for a while and then it changes. And the search, I even found it kind of entertaining that we think that we're gonna to get to some plateau, but it keeps evolving and changing and the insecurity of that is a really a, a, 
It's an invitation for a lot of difficult emotions. And the fact that there's unpredictability and the fact that this, this part that we're exploring is the cycle of life and death that is not this part. It's not the birth and growth part, but it's this part, which comes. If you have this, you'll have this. If you have birth, you will have death. But it's not easy. When we lose people that we love, there's grief, there's loss. We don't often know when it's going to happen. It's unpredictable. When we lose resilience and our ability to do things, it's a loss. How do we work with that? How do we work with that change and that unpredictability? So these are challenges. And what mindfulness begins to teach us, and actually we'll explore changes in attitude to, to the fact of change, to the fact of separation that comes with it, to the fact of things breaking and being gone people, things, coming and going. So there's attitudes that we can embrace that start to help us to work in a way that's more skillful and changes our fundamental relationship to them. It helps us to move from a kind of reactive suffering. And this happens in the world, I shouldn't be aging. I shouldn't get old. There's some part of us that believes, some other part because it wants and it holds on to memories, it holds on to future expectations. And so this reactive suffering is something that we can behold, we can, be, we can actually allow it to be part of what we attend to and hold, and that's when transformation starts happening, right? And, and how we relate to the objects. We start to shift how we relate to the objects and their behavior, and then that changes our inner, our inner reactive patterns. So here's some changes in attitude that can be really helpful, and then we'll look more with how we create them. So <clears throat> there's a, Ajahn Chah has a wonderful story of, this wonderful story I read about. They live in these little kutis, their little uh, huts in the forest where they meditate. Very few possessions, but I guess he had one uh, cup that was prized. They could drink, drink tea and et cetera. And he was out and one day walking or attending something in the monastery and uh, his attendant, a young, a young novice was in there cleaning up and he accidentally hit the cup and broke it. And when he came back, he was expecting that Ajahn Chah would have a reaction because was, this was his cup, his favorite cup. But when he didn't, he asked him why. He asked Ajahn Chah why. And he said, when I, and this is a general statement too, he said, when I know the cup is already broken, every minute with it is precious. When I know the cup is already broken, every minute with it is precious. So just imagining the possibility, what this could be like as a shift in, in perspective and attitude with our children that are off at school or with situations we know are gonna change, but they're very beautiful in the moment. How much time do we spend fixating on, oh, it's always gonna be this way, or I really always want it to be this way, or rather, oh, I know the conditions will change and Eventually this cup will crack or break. And because of that, because of the fragility of life, we actually can learn to appreciate it more. And that comes from actually being with, understanding, oh, this, everything is impermanent, changes on its own terms. We align ourselves. So now it's precious, life is precious here and now because of that. The second attitude I think is really important is just to acknowledge 
the, the difficulty of being with pain, loss, suffering uh, that goes with aging, sickness, and death, the change and the unpredictability of it. And that it can often, I know this for myself, when I have lost, I often feel separate when a relationship ends, when something I value changes uh, and isn't there anymore. There's a sense of not just the immediate emotions, but a loss. And how do we work with that? Does that separate us, isolate us, or can we drop into a field of actually having a bigger empathetic space where we understand this is the natural human condition? And we start to feel it in ourselves, but also let our attention go to all those others in the world that are going through the same things. And in a certain way, in the same way we join in a community here this evening, even though we're in different places, we're in a community. So we're actually together. We're we're together in aging, sickness, and death. We're, we're not alone in it when we can start to open our hearts and then to feel into, and it's very individual as well, we feel into one's own experience and then another's, and it can break down the sense of separation and meanness and, you know, a sense of like, of really, it's me versus. So I did this, one of the places I teach is a place called eMindful, and we get little teaching sheets, and it's an online uh, platform as well. Um, actually, I've been doing it for quite a while, and the, the founder of it was a student of Larry's and myself. And uh, we had this exercise that we did where you, you, you would do you would empathetically imagine somebody else with a kind of love and kindness in your heart, a compassion in your heart. And you would think of all their joys and sorrows, right? You think about how they age, how they have loss, how they have joy. And it's not just the negative, it's the fullness. And then you would shift it and imagine they were doing something to humanity and we can apply that to these things and we can also apply it to all the all the situations that are going on in the world where there's a lot of incongruent with creating harmony that us as practitioners it's a fundamental piece of the path working with intention of care for wider circles of life as well as honoring our own in a very skillful way and so we can see the conditioning patterns things and we can learn to with all these cycles of change and unpredictability, we can learn to hold that in a way where there's a more, little bit more natural empathy and compassion. So we're not alone. And this is when we start to use really present moment awareness, shifting to just like this, this sense of really looking into the conditions of life in the moment as they're changing, looking into now old age, sickness, and death as they're functioning, then. There's an attitude of learning, living and learning that I think is, it's actually the foundational core teaching of, of the Buddha Dharma that I find, that I think it runs through traditions and it's, it's essential for living a way where present moment awareness is informing us, forming our lives deeply. So Basho, this great artist, he said, what a pine if you want to learn about pine or bamboo, if you learn about bamboo. In doing so, you must be a preoccupation with yourself. Otherwise, you impose yourself on the object and do not learn. What does this have to do with our lives of investigating our, our changing, fragile life? 
Well, if you want to go to the pine, you go to the pine or the bamboo, if you want to learn about the bamboo, if you want to learn about yourself, if you want to learn about how awareness functions in the world, suffering and freedom, you have to go to that place. You have to go to our, to our immediate experience. And in doing so, we must leave our preoccupation with ourself. Otherwise, we do not learn. So if we are imposing on these processes of life, a sense that, oh, the suffering that comes from this, the, the unpleasant experiences, they're bad, they're wrong. This is bad news. If we impose some ideal rather than facing the facts as they are, or it's gonna be this way always. When we get sick, often we think, oh, it's always, I'm gonna feel sick and it's gonna, so this sense of trying to impose permanence on things doesn't work. It's me negotiating with life. So we learn to see into those veils and then we can learn. And the learning is very particular and when we use it from the place of awareness of Vipassana. Learning is from awareness and it reinforces awareness and it reinforces the clarity of mind and heart that meets life and responds to it. So this is a particular way that it's, and it's constantly changing. So the next example I want to give is very simple. It's from my dad actually. And uh, he's actually my first kind of Buddhist teacher. You know, he's a professor and has some existentialist ideas. And uh, I called him up and he's 87. Um, and I said, how you doing? And he's a Northern New Englander, so he might be a little bit stoic and not want to, you know, say I'm aching here or there, or I'm hunched over, or this or that. And his voice got animated and he sounded like a little kid on the other side of the phone. He said, well, I've never been 87 before. And for me, that was such a beautiful expression of attitude. And I get that when I'm with Larry sometimes. Um, it's just, well, I haven't been this Wow, The body's like this now. It's not necessarily as pleasant as I'd like it, but this is how it is. And this is, I've never done this before. So this is actually part of the adventure of the cycle of living. This dovetails beautifully into the a core teaching of the Buddha that basically in a very pith way said the gateway to freedom, and it's in the, what's called the Bade Karata Sutta. And he says, don't chase after the past, Right? So that's what we can do. I was like this, but now I'm not, I wish I was. Or projecting in the future, it's always gonna be this way or not knowing. So don't chase after the past, the future, but look clearly into the present moment and see the qualities of what's arising. So just align ourselves. And it's such a beautiful and simple practice. So what are some examples, I'll give a couple examples for myself of, um, of trying to explore consciously uh, these teachings of old age and sickness. Death, how is it to age? So we turn it into the body karate suit to let it inform us. How are we to age? How, how is aging? now. I'm subject to it. That's a theory. How is it to age right now? And then working with that. So I had an example. It's a little bit personal, but uh, I kind of pride myself and you can do a lot of, of practice and still have pride and vanity and all kinds of human things. So it's good to not 
and I try to fit someone who does a lot of meditation into a, into a box. So I, I was in front of the mirror and I noticed, I just know, actually I wasn't in front of the mirror, I just noticed that there was a lot of white hairs on my chest and I haven't had many. And it was like it doubled. It very short, I wasn't counting or anything, but it was just like, and I was like, wow, this is, and then I had a little bit of reaction and then I just, oh, this is how it is to age. That's what happens. There's not so much life in there. Let's change color. This is how it is to age. And when that, my mind had a little relief. It was actually just like, wow, huh. This is how life is at this stage. And then how is it, so we can look into these. How is it to, to feel, have less than optimal health now? How is it? And then what does that do to the quality of how we're actually living and attending to the moment? So I don't know if, if you were like me, but I've had a lot of chronic pain over the years, maybe too much sitting when I was younger, um, knees, hips, et cetera. We've all got our back. You know, we, we, most of us have something or other. And it can be kind of debilitating at times. So it was a little bit last week and I had to move really slow, hold on to things for a while. And, and I just remember at one point that I, there was a lot of pain, but then I, and I, was, I was coming into that aversive reactivity. And then I just slowed down and tuned into just the fact, oh, you're moving like this, like this and slowing it down. And it was because the situation called for it, but then there was this kind of joy of just being very simple and present. And I'm reminded of why I used to do retreats in Burma uh, in the Burmese uh, Mahasi technique where they say, uh, they used to say, practice like a sick person, which means slow everything down and just be really slow and feel all the details. So you can do it fast or you can do it slow. But when, sometimes we have to take more care. We have, to, we have more limitations when we're not in perfect health. And when we are in perfect health and we're older, that's a different definition than when we're younger. So then the last one, how do, I, how do I die? How do I die now? Well, that's a spiritual question. We'll come back to that one. So the key to all of this is how to, rather than fighting change, learning to align ourselves with it. And the way we do this is through simple shamatha uh, vipassana. So calming and studying the mind and seeing clearly. And what we find when, when we learn to start doing this is that we start aligning ourselves to one aspect of change as a way of growing and cultivating a calm steadiness in the heart and the mind. So we're actually utilizing change to create calm. So when we watch the rhythms of the breath, in and out, a predictable rhythm. We rest with that, come back to that. So we're doing during the sitting for many of us. But then attention settles on that changing flow and that starts to wake up this simple present moment awareness that starts as we continue with this, grows in integrity. We can do it in walking meditation, right? The rhythm of the feet. We can do it now. And I've, I've felt that like the stay at home practice during COVID has been a very powerful place to actually surrender into the natural rhythms of our daily life when they're not being uh, broken up so much by running here and there. That, that there's something about even just going into the familiarity of patterns of changing patterns in our daily life that can help to really build the momentum of being present. And then when this grows, this has its own integrity. 
Awareness starts to take on its own life. The heart starts to open more fully. It's interesting, it becomes more kind of, as we ground more in the present moment, then that opens up a buoyancy and then we touch into a quality of mind and heart that is more like the sky. We learn to rest in the continuity of awareness and an openness. And then from that place, in a poetic way, it helps us to see changing thoughts and moods and emotions, all these, all the reactive patterns that we have, habit energies, it learns to see them as clouds in the sky, where we're situated in this kind of open awareness. So that's a poetic way of working with it. But there's, that's a poetic way of looking at it. In a practical way, very, very practical, awareness itself becomes, and that was the original Ajahn Chah quote that I read, you look into the suffering, and that's the gateway. You look, or you look into the joy. You let awareness, and it's not even looking, it's, it's not so much looking into, it's allowing the conditions of awareness to meet life as it is. And on one level, this just gives us more resilience in relation to what's coming up. Our reactivity it helps us to, to, turn, to help to hold it in a very fundamental different way. And this has, this has awareness. This isn't an intentional compassion practice or loving kindness practice, but it has, it, it has this within it quite naturally. This is what uh, Ajahn Chah has to say, or excuse me, this Thich Nhat Hanh has to say about working with the emotions that can come with reactive suffering. And he uses anger, but it can be any of these qualities, loss, fear, etc. He said the Buddhist attitude is to take care of anger, or again, any emotion. We don't suppress it. We don't run from it. We just breathe and hold our anger in our arms with utmost tenderness. We don't breathe. We, we just breathe and hold our arms, hold our anger or any emotion in our arms with utmost tenderness. So this is in a way combining these, we're grounding in the rhythms right, of the breath, but we're also having that sky-like quality, which awareness, awareness of breath brings about to hold the dark clouds, the light clouds, the anger, the fear, the loneliness, the joy. Whereas the Chinese mystics used to say the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. It's all, it's all much more workable when we do this. And there's a natural compassion embedded in this. So it has this nourishment at its root that changes our relationship. And in a very deep way, if we keep looking, we start to see into the roots of what is supporting these difficult reactive emotions. And if we keep looking, we see there's some quality of clinging, there's some sense of separation, some me versus that's supporting. And it's not just the raw emotion, there's something underneath it. And we start to see into the roots. So in the Four Noble Truths, the cause of this kind of reactive suffering is this underlying clinging, which is, expresses itself in, in rejection, pulling towards, and is based on basically not seeing clearly. So we learn to uproot this in a way by just becoming intimate with the fullness of our experience. We relax, open, but different, not even intentionally. We just let all the layers of our experience touch us. And then clinging releases. So in Basho's poem, he says that 
you know, go, go to our life for us. Go to our life if, if you, and do not, if you impose yourself, you do not learn. But he also says that if you, when you don't impose yourself, <clears throat> he says your poetry, the expression, issues of its own accord, when you and the object have become one, when you have plunged deep enough into the object to see something like a hidden glimmering there. And so this points to the fundamental truth or possibility that there's a fundamental emptiness in experience. There's an aliveness which keeps changing and flowing. And that this is the truth of things. This is actually the truth of experience. And when we see into this, this is the deepest bowing down that Ajahn Lee was pointing us towards. That we see that on one level, these are natural expressions of life. So we to do this, we actually employ the question of how is it to die now? Well, that's a spiritual question. I used to live in a, a community in Japan where the, the founder had an awakening through uh, his basic teaching. He had awakening through looking deeply into very simple things in life. And he had it, he had it, he, his expression of teaching, he said, you have to die to self to live. Bob Dylan has a kind of, you know, one of his songs, he, I think he has, uh, maybe paraphrasing, but those who are not busy being born are busy dying. So that's a, that's a reference to like people's personal experience, right? Except I don't know how they're busy being born and knowing it, but I, anyways. But basically that there's a busyness in the process of living and dying itself in the biology of nature that is always going on. If you live, if you live and are tuned into nature, the cycles of nature, it's very full of the upcycle now. W meanwhile, there's all kinds of death going on constantly in nature at the same time. That there's just something that is so not personal about it. And that there's something that's so not personal in a way about the, the, the naturalness of the biology of this is what happens to our bodies. This is what happens. And all that we have, it, all that we have is in human response in relation to this. Well, if we see into the fullness of it, then this nature, this nature of change, constant change, this brings about in the quality of not grasping, not fixating, there's a natural letting go where awareness through awareness of change opens us into this sense of interdependence and an openness, a glimmering spaciousness that arises when we're not afraid of things, but when the conditions are right. And it's very important to know that we can move back and forth between shamatha and then vipassana is this opening into and seeing the changing nature and then learning to see into the nature of the mind and the heart. It's just wider and deeper and fuller. So we are part of nature and that's the ultimate, that's kind of our realization that we are nature and that awareness, we have this fundamental quality of wakefulness that helps us both to cope with, to through specific strategies, breathing with, loving kindness is wonderful, using our attentional skills, the common study of the heart and see in a different way, but also the fundamental way of being very direct and clear with things just as they are. And that this meeting of life, awareness meeting life, and the life of awareness meeting the life of whatever it is, that in that union, there's some 
birth of something that is deathless. And so it's called the deathless. And it, we can think of it in very big terms, but we can also think in very little terms. The birth and death of the sense of separation, of the imposing on top of, and then there's the death and then there's just the moment. And there's little bits of clarity. So, okay. So I think that's, that's good. What I want to do now is in the last um, few minutes, and then we'll open up for questions. And actually this will be a gateway into the questions. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask us to get quiet again. And then I'm going to uh, read these three reflections one after the other. And I'm gonna read them and I'm also going to, to read a little teaching. And these are from Larry's, uh, Larry's book. Um, they're not Larry's quotes, but they're from the book, so. And then we'll open it up for questions and not just questions, I'd actually be interested in the beginning of the Q&A as well, or the discussion period to, to see what came up and then using what we've been working with here and just using your skill of being present, maybe just direct awareness, maybe breathing with, just, or a, a heart of kindness, how, what comes up, how we hold what comes up in relation when I, when I read these. And that's one reason why actually working with the reflections can be powerful because the tool to directly see how our mind, what, what, what is lifting up in our minds is being lifted out just like any relationship is, right? So let's come into some upright stillness with the eyes softly closed. Again, as I mentioned in the beginning, just letting the words wash through, land, they do and whatever arises just holding it with this as much skill and tenderness as you can. I am subject to aging. Aging is unavoidable. Aging is natural. The teaching, not wanting things to change. If we think like this, we must suffer. When we think the body is ourselves or belongs to us, we are afraid when we see it change. Ajahn Chah. Sitting, perhaps sitting and breathing with whatever is arising. I am subject to illness. Illness is unavoidable. Illness is natural. Though my body is sick, my mind shall not be sick. Thus, householder, you must train yourself the Buddha. I am subject to death. Death is unavoidable. Death is natural.
in brief, without being mindful of death. Whatever Dharma practices you take up will be merely superficial. Milarepa. And now just sitting and relaxing any thoughts that may have arisen and returning to the place that we began to, that we began from. Just sitting and being present, perhaps sitting and breathing and being aware with ourselves, with each other, with the moment until you hear the sound of the bell. Before I ring the bell, I'll end with a dedication. May the fruits of our practice truly be of benefit to the quality of our own life, of those in our lives, and in the interdependent web of life that we all inhabit to all beings everywhere. May we and all beings be safe, be happy, and be free. So I'd like to thank everyone very, very up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you everybody very much for being here and joining in this, uh, you know, this uh, reflection and also this, this shared inquiry, this listening and being with our experience in the moment. So it's, it's very, very delightful to, to join in this community. And it's, it's kind of heartful for me as well that there are a lot of people that are really intending and working with being present with uh, compassion and clarity. Uh, especially in this time. So um, just remembering little moments of clarity and little moments of honoring the heart and the minds can be really, really powerful. Or, or don't, don't kind of uh, take away the possibility that they can be the seeds of change and the change that uh, is very affirming and supportive of all of its vicissitudes. Okay, so thank you everybody. Have a good evening. Take care everybody, be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.